Tonight, with the help of the Lord, I want to look into the life. This is the adult life of David. There is no doubt in our hearts that this is a psalm written by David. This is, for all intents and purposes, no doubt written by David, but we cannot be completely sure as to when David penned the psalm. There's great speculation about a very particular time and place in his life when he was fleeing for his life, when he was in a place of great torment and personal despair and angst. What I think is safe to embrace here is that this is an adult David. This is a David that has lived some life. And if we were going to give the title for this sermon, it would be this, the precedence of his presence. The precedent of his presence. Let's read a few verses here and then we'll share what God's put on our heart and then we'll go home. I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay. And set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. Verse 3, and he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, for just a few minutes, I pray that you would use your word to encourage us. Father, that we would embrace what you're trying to teach us here and Lord, that we would seek after you, that we would pursue you. God, that our desire would to be in your presence, to be ever right with our God. God, that we would continue to grow. Lord, that there would be no satisfaction in the status quo. But God, that we would come for you with haste. Father, that we would come after you with a fervent heart who refuses to stay put in the place that we've been. And Father, that we would command a respect and authority. God, that we would expect of ourselves to live in a continual presence of God. Hungry for more. Hiding the word of God in our lives. And trusting you in the precedent that you've set before us. We love you. We worship you. Be with our children. Be with our teenagers. God, use Pastor Nathan and Brother John in a mighty way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. For those of you that are in a season of discouragement, those for you, uh, this is a difficult week or you've got a difficult week ahead. There are some of you in here that are waiting for doctors to call back with reports. There are some of you who have family members who've just recently gone home to heaven and your heart is bereaved. There are some of you that are educators and tomorrow you walk back into a school, you walk back into a classroom and there is great difficulty facing you this year. Uh, there is a challenge ahead that you never thought you would have to face. For some of you, you work in law enforcement or you work in EMS or you're a fireman or you work in the emergency department at Mission Hospital and you are witnessing the demise of a nation. You are witnessing what drugs can do to a generation. You are embracing everything that is before you and it's daunting. It's horrific, some of the things that is happening, uh, even to young people 
in our community. And you are in a place, you are in a season of life where you may feel that you could use a rescue. That God, if he does not come to you, and if he does not set you apart from the situation that you're in, or if he does not give you what you need to be able to withstand, you're not so sure that you're going to be able to make it. There are some of you that are new parents and the thought of raising a child in the next five or ten years, it simply terrifies you. Some of you are grandparents and the thought of not being in this world for your grandchildren has now for the first time put a fear of death in your heart, not because you fear death, but because you fear not being here for your grandchildren. There are a lot of people here with different circumstances and different situations, even different priorities in life, different seasons of life. Some of you will be alive the next 35 years on this earth. Some of you, you're in the winter years of your life. And for God to give you 10 more years will be more than, great, more than gracious for the amount of time he's given you to live. One day we'll all come to that place if the Lord tarries where God will have given us our last day here on this earth. And I think one thing that we can learn and we can embrace from reading after and talking to folks who have beautiful gray heads of hair is that at the end of the day, at the end of this life, or when you're in those particular situations or circumstances, all that really matters is what you have done with Jesus. There are situations and there are circumstances in life that it does not matter if you have $175,000 in your checking account. It does not matter that there's $1.2 million in your IRA or that you have access to borrow as much money as you want because at the end of the day, that amount of money cannot fix your problem. There's no prose, there's no poem, there's no pill, and there's no person that can fix it. And only Jesus can. And what we're experiencing here in this psalm in the first three verses, I want to divide it into three portions for you. Uh, let's do that now. If you have a pen, if you take notes, I hope you're in the, in the practice of taking notes during the sermon. Not because it's me and I think you should write it down, but because it may provoke you to go back and get more. That's my heart, is that you write something down and you go, hey, I wrote that down during that message. I want to go explore that more myself. That's my prayer is that it invokes you to go back and get more from this bountiful book of blessing. Uh, but I want us to divide this book, this chapter rather, into three portions, three portions. And we're going to really focus on one portion of this book. And I'm going to go down a little bit different path even than I expected to when first preparing this message. But I think God has something for us. But if we divide this in three sections, uh, verse 1 through 3, verse 1 through 3, we'll call that section the merciful rescue by God. The merciful rescue by God. That's 1 through 3. Uh, verse 4 through 5, we'll call that the multiple resources in God. The multiple resources in God. And then we'll go ahead and add a fourth. So let's give you number three. The motivational responses to God, verse 6 through 10. The motivational response to God, verse 6 through 10. And then lastly, Verse 11 through 17, which closes out the chapter, prayers for a present situation. Prayers 
for a present situation. Let me give you these again for those of you that say I talk too fast, which I probably do sometimes. Number one, the merciful rescue by God, one through three. Number two, the multiple resources in God, four through five. Number three, the motivational responses to God, six through ten. And then fourth and last, prayers for a present situation, 11 through 17. Now, backing up, we're talking about David here. Let's really focus here on the first three verses. What I want you to see are the words here that David uses. He says, I waited, he inclined, and heard my cry. He brought me, he set, he established, he hath put. This is obviously David looking back at a prior situation. What he's speaking, verse 1 through 3 here, is a situation or a circumstance in the past. There is a precedence that's being set where David is in a situation, a present situation. Don't misunderstand that. David is in real trouble here. But before David goes on and asks God for help for the present struggle, for the present time of need, David backs up and he takes himself out of the situation that he's in and he stepped back and he remembers what God has done in the past. He remembers a particular place and a particular time where God came to the rescue, a merciful rescue. I waited patiently for the Lord. It means that David waited not just a few minutes or a few moments, but there was some real time for David to wait on the Lord to respond to his need. This was not an immediate reaction. God didn't simply poof and the problem disappear. David said, I remember that place, I remember that time where I had to wait patiently for the Lord. The good news is, is that God inclined his ear. He listened to him, he came to him and he heard his cry. And then he said, he brought me up, past tense. He brought me, the nature, the character of God was to pull me out of the situation. And before I go any further, and before I ask God for yet another rescue for this present situation, I'm first going to remember the character of God and the precedence that God has set before me for what he's done before in my past. Let's get off on this little rabbit trail here for just a moment. There are some of you in this room tonight or watching and worshiping online where there was a moment, there was a place and there was a time where only God himself could have intervened and changed the situation or changed the circumstance and God did something miraculous right before your very eyes and if you had to be honest, you could look back in your life and find that place, find that time and say God was merciful to me at that point and place in my life. Is there anybody in here that can say that? Praise the Lord, I know I can. I remember living as a missionary in Costa Rica and my little sister Sophia. How old was Sophia when she fell and hit her head? Two years old, three years old? Terrible, terrible fall. Horrendous fall. We're there in San Jose, Costa Rica and Sophie takes a fall onto a concrete sidewalk and it perfectly catches her head, the edge of that concrete pillar. Many, many of you prayed for her 
And this massive hematoma swells on her head, pressure on her brain. And I can remember as a teenager thinking that if we lose her, nothing is ever going to be the same. A moment of despair, a moment of no calm, a moment of no peace, a quick flight to Miami trying to seek pediatric neurology for help. And I wasn't even the parent. I was just a brother, a sibling. But the look on my parents' face was one of sheer terror. There are some of you who have been in those moments, even this past week, you have had a moment of terror, a moment of doubt, a moment of fear. And God, maybe even this week, came to you. He inclined his ear to you. And the precedence, even going back in your life before, is that God listens to his children. God pays attention to the needs of those he loves. This bride for whom he died. The merciful rescue by God. I praise the Lord for that. Now, the multiple resources in God, verse four and five. Let's read this together. Blessed is that man that maketh the Lord his trust and respecteth not the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. Many, O Lord my God, are thy wonderful works which thou hast done, and thy thoughts which are to usward. They cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. The thoughts of God towards his children are more than can be numbered. You say, my situation, my problem, my issue is more than I could ever put into words. There's no hope, there's no way, it's too far gone, it's too way down yonder the road and there's no chance it turns around. The capability of your God, the control of your God and the thoughts of your God to give you a future, to give you something that he can take credit for, the glory of God working in his children's lives. Now, there is so much to be said right there. We could spend weeks talking about God as a resource, but that's not what I want to do. I want us to back up now. All right, let's take this in. We've got an adult male named David. David has been given a position. David has been given power. David, more than likely at this point, is already king of Israel. David is a very important man. Could we all agree from what we know from Scripture that David is a very important person? Yes. Can we all agree that David, if we know his story and everything that the Bible allows us to see, that David was not a perfect person? No, he was not. But God says that he was a man after his own heart. David had clout not only with people, but more importantly, David had clout with God. David, yes, had influence with people, but more importantly, David had influence, had clout. His voice was heard in heaven. But I want us to go back even further than what we know about David in his life. This is the response of someone who has spent time living a life close with God. You cannot simply fall into trusting God, believing God, trusting him in the emergent situations. That does not come naturally. That comes from years of experience. It comes from decades of dedication. 
and I submit to you for this man, this leader, this powerful influencer named King David. It started for him all the way back in the fields where David tended sheep. And it even followed David home in the way that his father Jesse raised David and taught him in their home. David has a background, David has a lineage, David has a heritage of stability, of truth, and of trusting God all the way back to his childhood. So that now, David as an adult, whatever's going on here, we can't know for sure exactly what's happening here, but whatever's happening here, David's in a good place. You say, what do you mean he's in a good place? He's in a battle, a struggle, a war. These innumerable evils, as verse 12 said. It says, for innumerable evils have come past about me. Mine iniquities have taken hold upon me. He's in a bad place. The point is where David started with his plea, where David started the psalm, where David's heart instantly went to in his moment of despair. He went back to point out the fact to praise God for what God had done in the past. You don't just happen into that. That doesn't just trip and fall and then all of a sudden you thank God for who he is and for what he is in the moment of emergency, in the moment of pressure, in the moment of pain. David had somebody teach him. David had someone invest in him. David had someone pour in to him. We'll come back to Psalm 40 here in just a moment. Take your Bible and flip into 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 17. Let's look a little bit at David's life. I want to point to a few things about David's character, even as a young man, that I believe wholeheartedly carried all the way to this place in Psalm 40. 1 Samuel 17, 36. We're going to move around a lot here. These will be on your screen. But it says, Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. This teenage boy is standing in front of this massive man who's mean, who's cussing God, who's got a vicious look in his eye. And the response, the attitude, the tone of David is not to hide under a rock or to run back up the hill to Jerusalem. Rather, it's to look at that wicked pagan Philistine and say, just like God delivered the bear to my hand and the lion to, the, to my hand, this uncircumcised pagan is gonna be just like one of them. I'm gonna kill him. You don't have that happen on accident as a young teenage boy. I don't care what you say. There's nothing that can happen in David's life. There's no way David gets to this point other than someone loved him enough to invest in him and teach him right from wrong, dedication, hard work, and it was his father whose name is Jesse. And David obviously has been through some crazy things. We don't know exactly here in Psalm 40, and there's these stories of David, the bear and the lion. It's what we like to call one of those, you wouldn't believe me if I told you moments. David, even as a teenager, as a young person, has been through more than some adults go through in their entire life. May I add this as a sidebar. Sometimes God will send people through something to prepare them for what's coming. 
God was preparing this young man for the weight, the mantle of the kingship of Israel. And he was preparing him, but he had someone at home to teach the principles of God, to teach David what it meant to work and to trust God. And David had been through some of the most incredible things and God had provided. But there's one thing about David's character that we must see. You see, David did get started really early with all of this on being faithful with the little things. Did you hear the words I just said? Being faithful with the little things. David was faithful, even as a young man, to be faithful with the little things. In other words, the details mattered to Jesse. The details mattered to Jesse. I remember coming home from Costa Rica and spending a summer with my grandmom and my granddaddy in Leicester. And I remember my granddaddy giving me a chore. He said, I want you to go over here beside the shed and I want you to split this wood and I want you to fill up the rack that's on the deck. I want you to fill up this wood rack for me, Winston. You're here, you're home, and you're enjoying some time away from Costa Rica out of God's will, as he would always say. But you're home for a little while, and we're going to have fun, and we're going to have a good time, and we're going to watch Andy, and we're going to watch John Wayne, and we're going to play Lincoln Logs and set stuff on fire and shoot guns and drive Grandmama crazy. But I want you to work while you're here. And I want you to go down right there, and I want you to split that wood, and I want you to fill up the wood rack. I want you to fill it up. Prepare us for what's coming for winter. I went down there and I went, good grief. I come all the way from Central America and I've got to go get an ax and and figure all the, and bust wood? I thought I was coming to the Ritz-Carlton, not to the wood chopping academy. And I begrudgingly go down there and just a sweet, tender young man. I chop some wood and I carry a few pieces up and then I go make me a bologna sandwich because it was, you know, a union break. You get 10, 15 minutes, some coffee, some bologna. And it took me a good eight hours, what should have taken me about three hours. And I thought I did pretty good. I, I got a lot of wood on that rack. And, and, and what I learned is the bigger I let the pieces stay, the quicker it'd get filled up. Uh, Granddad, you need some big backlogs so we can get that fire really going. I'm talking about I'm bringing in hunks of tree like this to put in the fireplace. And he gets home and he looks at the wood rack and he calls me to the kitchen table. And he's got that. I don't know if you've ever made Ralph Sexton mad before. It's not fun. He had this look on his face and I went, oh, something's up. And he had a napkin sitting on that table and he had one of them big old gel ink pens and he was already making notes. And I went, it's on a napkin. This is for me. It ain't even good enough for a piece of paper. I'm getting a napkin. And he wrote up there, lessons, life's wood rack taught me. And that napkin, I still have it in my safe at home. I never, ever forgot what he wrote down in there. One of the things he put on there was giving it my best paying attention to the detail. See, somebody had to prepare David for the small details that really mattered in his life. The small voices that God was calling him to do particular things. The small details, the intricate details really did matter. And for Jesse, 
to teach David. He wasn't just teaching his son, but he was preparing a king. My granddad looked at me and said, son, I told you to fill up the wood rack. And it's about three quarters of the way. And I said, man, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I will do better tomorrow. I'll get it finished. No, you're going to go finish it now. I told you to fill up the wood rack. That was my expectation. Someone investing in a young man to let him know and let him understand that the little details mattered. 1 Samuel 16, and Samuel's there now to anoint and to find this new king to anoint for Israel. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Are here all thy children? And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest. And behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. And this keeper of the sheep, this shepherd boy, this young man who had been invested in, is getting ready to have oil placed upon his body and anointed as the next king of Israel. Keeper of the sheep, smelly, dirty, hard, laborious work. You do not smell nice after your day in the field with the sheep. And now Saul has sinned, Saul is troubled, and Saul is being replaced. 1 Samuel 16, 17 through 18. And Saul said unto his servants, Provide me now a man that can play well and bring him to me. Then answered one of the servants and said, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, that is cunning and playing, and a mighty, valiant man, and a man of war. Do you think it's possible that God got a hold of this servant's heart and let him see some things that maybe nobody else could see? How could this young teenage shepherd boy be a valiant man of war, prudent? How did he know he's on time? How did he know he's faithful to do his job? Maybe could it be that God set David up from the very beginning and he put his daddy with him to prepare him? Faithful to tend to the sheep. He says, bring him to me, this comely person. This servant tells King Saul, the Lord's with him. And David, as a young man, has obviously been faithful enough, consistent enough, that he's been seen by those simply walking by, cunning, talented, a good-looking lad, red-headed. And the small things, the consistency that David showed as a young man paid off for the rest of his life and even for the rest of Israel's history. It mattered. The small things. 1 Samuel 16, 21 through 23, And David came to Saul and stood before him, and he loved him greatly. And David becomes his armor bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David, I pray thee, stand before me, for he hath found favor in my sight. It came to pass when the evil spirit, look at there, from God was upon Saul, that David took a harp and played with his hand, so Saul was refreshed and was well, and the evil spirit departed from him. He found favor with the king. He goes from the sheep field to the palace. Somebody had to give permission. Somebody had to prepare, and somebody had to pray that David could do the task that was before him. To go to the palace meant that David was going to give up his smelly, stinky country boy working clothes. That he was going to put on a clean tunic. 
He was going to have access to food that he had never even seen before. David was going to be able to taste of cheeses and of oils and smell smells that he has never smelt before that smell so good he can barely describe them. And from tending to little sheep to now participating in the palace affairs, he stands before the king because somebody prepared him to stand there. He found favor. 1 Samuel 17 says in the 15th verse, but David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. Are we taking in what's happening here? This boy who's been promoted to the palace. It says in verse 15, he returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. What a good teenager. He's been promoted literally to the White House. Yet he's going home to Buncombe County to feed his daddy's sheep. This advisor, this armor bearer, this cunning player, something lived in David. Something had been ingrained in David. Someone had taught David to love his daddy enough to come home from the palace and feed his sheep. And the Philistine drew near the morning and evening and presented himself for 40 days. And Jesse said to David, his son, look, look at this. I come home from the palace. I love you enough to feed your sheep. I got on my new tunic. I've put on a few pounds because of all these good dates and oils and cheeses that I've had. All this new exotic food I've never been able to eat before. I've come home, Dad. I'm gonna feed your sheep. But look what Jesse does. And Jesse said to David, his son, take now for thy brethren an ephah of this parched corn and these 10 loaves, and run to the camp of thy brethren, and carry these 10 cheeses unto the captain of their household, and look how thy brethren fare, and take their pledge. David, thanks for coming home from the palace. David, thank you for feeding the sheep. By the way, I want you to take the cheese, and I want you to take the corn, and I want you to go feed your brothers. Take this food and run my chore for me my little buddy. And if you'll read this story, David does not respond with this attitude. Well, dad, I've got a job now in the palace. You're gonna have to find somebody else. I gotta get my heart retuned. I gotta be ready for when Saul comes. I, I gotta go back to the palace. We got staff meeting in 25 minutes. I fed the sheep, I gotta go. No. The Bible says that David not only was obedient, but his attitudes exposed in this whole thing. The Bible says that David got up early. He arose early. He got up to do the task earlier than even what his daddy expected him to do. And he went down the mountain to feed his brothers. Now, I've got nothing but sisters. I've got one brother in heaven. And Savannah, you're here and I love you. But if I'm working in the White House and dad calls me and says to bring you a cheese and corn sandwich, I'm going to have a hard time coming to Black Mountain to your office to feed you cheese and corn sandwich. I love you, but Uber you sell, Uber something. I, not only did David do it, but he got up early to honor and respect his father. I so love my dad. 
I so respect my father. I take his words, his, his, his request, I take it as my last dying command, even though I've got my position in the palace. And David goes, and David feeds his brothers, and then the winds of heaven blow in the valley of Elah. And this little boy, this comely young man, stands in the valley and he sees the Philistines. He sees the enemy. He sees the fear in his brother's eyes. He sees the fear in the king's eyes. And he goes down to the brook Cherith and he looks across and he sees that pagan wicked Philistine. And because somebody had prepared him as a young man at home, he was able to look the devil in the face and say, you're dead meat. Not because he went to G.I. Joe Ranger School. Not because someone invested some money in a college education. No, no, no. Someone at home got a hold of this boy's heart and prepared him to stand and look at old Goliath himself in the face and say, is there not a cause? Wake up. We've got a fight on our hands. Someone prepared this young man at home the battle and if you have children if you have grandchildren if you have young people in your life that you love and you're in the winter years of your life and you're struggling and you're looking for something to invest in and I'm not talking about the American stock market. I'm talking about investing in eternal things. I'm talking about investing in what God has given us in protecting the great treasure betrothed to us, the bride, the children of the church, the next generation of the church. Then someone needs to prepare them for what's coming. Someone needs to be intentional with them and prepare them for the days that David's going to have like in Psalm 40. So that when they become 30 years old and everything crumbles around them, that they're not looking to a bottle or a pill or a drug, but rather they can take Psalm 41 and say, I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit. I remember what God did for my mama. I remember what God did for my daddy and they trusted God and they followed God and they taught me to trust God and they taught me to follow God and as for me and my house, we're gonna keep serving God, trusting him and waiting on him because God has set the precedent before us that he will help us raising up a generation that's confident in their God so that the first year of college they don't come home from the first semester and some egghead pagan professor has stripped them of everything they know is right stripped them of everything they know that is real because there's something living inside of them that's greater than something that professor knows or what that professor can say because mamas and daddies and grandmamas and granddaddies and Sunday school teachers and aunts and uncles made an investment that mattered the precedence of his presence preparing David for the fight, for the battle, for the war, for the struggle, for the days to come that David could never imagine. I waited patiently for the Lord. And because of that rescue, because of the precedence of God's presence 
He said, and he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. It was not my daddy. It was not my mama. It was not my school. It was not my teacher. It was not my Sunday school teacher. It was my God, and I praise him. The precedence of his presence. David's duty to take the cheese and to not argue. David's diligence and tenderness, his work ethic, his devotion, his sense of duty, even as a young man, would carry into the rest of his life. And we know the story. I wish so bad, so bad that we had David to look at and Bathsheba, that old story, unto God, I wish it would have never happened. I hate that part. I hate it. That David would come to such a place who had known so much of God and his character and to have a man put in battle on purpose and have him killed so that David could get with his wife. But it's a reminder to you and it's a reminder to me of the humanity of the flesh that is still attached to us until we get home to heaven and the constant war against it. And now your children, your grandchildren, this generation is fighting a new war that it's never fought before. It started around 2000 and it's what's in everyone's pockets. The smartphone, the internet, access to information, access to groups of people with ideology that is so vile you cannot even give a description of these people. And your children, if they have an internet connected device in their life, they have access to it. Who's teaching them to be intentional with the small things? Well, Pastor Nathan is. Yeah. Pastor Nathan's doing his job. We pay him. They'll be fine. I bring him to church. I sit him on the pew. And Winston, he preaches to him. He gets paid. They're fine. Oh, they're, they're Sunday school teacher. When we come, you know, they get at least an hour with them. That's good. In all love, but with the most sincere alarm that I can sound from the depths of my heart. If that's the reality your children are living in, your children's time is just ticking. It's a matter of time. Well, I check the box. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, uh, Thrive, Launch, Missions Conference, Jubilee. They're here, but who's being intentional with them at home? Who's going through their teenager's phones and finding out who that booger is that's texting your teenage daughter? Don't look at me. Don't dare look at that precious Pastor Nathan and look at him and say, why didn't you fix it? Don't do that. It's not his fault. It's your fault. They're your babies. They have your last name. And God gave them to you. We say, that's too harsh. My kids are going to wind up hating me. Your kids may wind up in hell if you don't love them enough to tell them the truth. Someone loving them enough to point them to the truth, not just when they're at church, but someone that will say, 
Honey, don't do that. It's going to cause you pain and strife. Just be faithful in the little things now and God will stand you before giants and he will equip you and he will fortify you and you'll slay giants if you'll be faithful with the little things. What if David would have said, no, dad, now I'm not taking that cheese. No, that's not my job. Too small. I work in the palace. I got big picture things to worry about, Dad. That's not my job, Dad. No, no, no. David would have never gone to the Valley of Elah. He would have never stood before Goliath, and he may have never become king. Who's teaching this to your children? You say, well, my family, Pastor, we're faithful and we come and we tithe and we're here when we can be. The devil's working overtime, 24 hours a day. (laughs) Oh, he's working overtime to kill your family and to damn them into hell, sitting on a church pew. Love your family enough to point them to the truth. And lead your home for righteousness sake. You say you're too emotional. It's not that bad. Come spend 48 hours living on the other end of my cell phone. And tell me it's not that bad. God's going to have to raise up some Jessies. And the spirit of Jesse and some mamas. To love their babies enough. To be intentional with Jesus at home. Who's going to tell them? Who's going to show them? What hope do they have? Do you realize there is a day coming if the Lord tarries where I will not have access to my grandfather? I won't have the ability to call that number and say, can you give me some advice? There may be a day where I don't have the pleasure and the beautiful relationship of being able to pick up the phone or sit in front of my own father and say, Daddy, I'm scared. Daddy, I don't know what to do. There may come a day where they are looking to me. How are you preparing them for your absence? Who's going to train them and prepare them? for the nine foot giant called life that's waiting for them in the morning when they get to school. How many more families are gonna have to experience divorce before we get serious? When we say, God, take over my family. Take over what we do and what we say. Inspect what we watch. Inspect what we listen to. Inspect the conduct of our home. And let it, Lord, let it, Lord, be pleasing to you. And in faith believing, God will equip you to equip them. He's made that promise. I'm so burdened for the family unit I'm so burdened for the future of our church. I'm so burdened for these precious young people who are going to school tomorrow and the things that they're going to be facing.
I could cry for the rest of the night thinking about some of the things that they're going to see and that they're going to hear. Would you please help me pray for your children? Help me pray for your children. I've often wondered why God had me go through 11 years of EMS. Why he didn't just let me go to Bible college and get into ministry. I've often thought, God, I wasted all those years that I could have been serving you in ministry. I've seen the underbelly of what the devil's plans are for your family. I've put the 13-year-old and the 14-year-old in the body bag whose mama and daddy play church. And there's no words. There's nothing I can say to them that makes it okay. But I can hear them screaming. I wish I'd have done it different. I wish I could have been a better parent. You say, it will never happen in my home. The devil doesn't play fair. The devil's a dammer. He's a deceiver. The Apostle Paul said, lest he get an advantage of us to indicate that Satan has a blueprint for our lives to destroy us. I'm just wondering who will come and weep for the children to ask God to protect them and to keep them and that he would keep us faithful to be the church that we ought to be for his glory, for his sake and for the sake of our families. Altars are open. You come and pray, mind the Lord. Heavenly Father, we come back into your presence. Oh Lord, how a simple, simple principle from your word can weigh so heavy. God, I pray for every student that's going back to school tomorrow. They'll be walking into the halls that are already prepared and primed to confuse them. Lord, for the teacher that's going to school tomorrow to be salt and to be light and already the devil's whispering to that teacher, fear, you'll lose your job. You shouldn't say that. You shouldn't be kind in that way. Just teach and close your mouth. I pray that you would give that teacher authority. I pray that you would protect that teacher to be able to speak truth and peace and love in the name of Jesus in her classroom. God, that you would prepare her heart for the year ahead. Lord, for our children, we ask you now, Lord, for every campus on Buncombe County, every school, God, that you would protect them. Allow no harm to come on those campuses of Buncombe County, of Asheville, of Henderson County, of Madison County. Lord, put hosts of angels around our babies. Oh God, surround them and protect them. Lord, for the devil, for the demon who's made it all the way to a position of authority in the school system, expose them early. Don't let them get a foothold. Don't let them damage the heart and the mind of a child. Keep them away with the wickedness and the confusion. Lord, I pray for the parents that are here tonight. God, that you would fortify them God, that they would take radical ownership for their homes. God, that they would look in the mirror and say, it's on me to teach my babies about Jesus. God, 
do it for the sake of our church. Do it for the sake of these babies. For every teenager, for every young adult that's searching, God who's fishing into the dark, looking to see what bites. Lord, I pray that you would protect them. I plead the blood of Jesus Christ over every teenager in our church. God, when the world comes after them and the thoughts of suicide and self-harm come, I beg you in the name of Jesus to protect them. Expose the devil for who he is, the dammer and the deceiver. Help us to be the salt and the light even in our own homes for the sake of Christ and for the sake of souls. Give us a new passion, a new burden, and a new desire to follow you and to lead our families in the spiritual things, in the eternal things. Lord, my heart is full today as I think about Poppy. Lord, I thank you for the precedent that's been set here on this campus. Lord, thank you for granddaddy. Lord, thank you for him. Thank you for a faithful man of God. The precedence that you've established here at Trinity. Now, Lord, help us to be tender. Help us to be faithful. Help us to be pliable. And help us to be hungry. Help us to be desperate for the power of God moving in our lives. Prepare us for battle. Shod our feet. Sharpen our sword. Shore up the helmet on our head. And give us the authority and the confidence to stand before Goliath and slay the wicked one. In Jesus' name, we ask all these things as humbly as we know how. Amen. the weight and the responsibility of the loved ones God's given us. We need Him. We need Him so desperately. And I'm thankful that when we call, He hears us and He answers according to His will. so thankful for each and every one of you, the love that you have for your church, your pastor, for the family that God's given you. I praise his holy name for what he's done in our midst today.